a lot of people franchising is not right for because they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to create the systems. They want to be the visionary. And that's not what franchising is. It's give me the playbook. I'll do it. And then I'll execute on it and have a predictable result. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I am your host, Scott Goodrich. And of course, we're talking entrepreneurs today, and we're going to have a little spin today. We're talking franchising, something I know a little bit about, as I've shared on previous episodes. And we got to spend a lot of time in franchising with us today. Aaron Harper, the CEO of Rolling Suds. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Scott, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you today. I'm very excited about this conversation. We connected, I think, through Podmatch, a platform that I use quite a bit to find great guests. And when I saw the depth of franchising there and, and some of my thoughts about the applications in, in franchising, what works, what doesn't. I said, this will be a good one. So I appreciate you coming out some time. Let's have a go at it. Tell me about Rolling Suds. What's going on with Rolling Suds? Where are you? Where you're going? Let's have that little background there and then we'll get rolling into uh, kind of the what got you here. Yeah. So Rolling Suds is a residential and commercial power washing franchise. We're currently one of the fastest growing franchises in the country. We launched in February of last year, and we now have 109 locations in 24 states in 11 months, which, you know. That's fast. That's fast. Yeah. <laughs> That's fast. So let's let's just pause there, I, and I'll give you a chance to continue the story. So yeah, sure. good and bad to that, right? I mean, you love the growth and get it going, but you, so, so give me two sides of the coin there just on that rapid yep. expansion in that period of time. So give me the good and the bad. Yeah. So I've been in the franchise industry for years. So if I was like a brand new you know, power washer that decided to franchise, I would tell listeners who are interested in buying a franchise to run in the opposite direction. Because if you don't know franchising and you don't know how to franchise a business, growth of that rate is not good. Yeah. Now for me, because the last two brands that I helped grow and they both became the largest brand in the world in that industry while I was there, I knew we would get here and I knew we would get here much faster than just due to my background. So I built infrastructure on the front end to be able to support this. So like, I know you have a couple franchises. We have 17 employees that work underneath me. Step so. one, make sure you have the support system, right? Like I was going to ask, like, this is the thing that I have seen and, and observed and you need to have something for your franchisees, right? That right. they can rely on. I, I would say that the marketing of franchises is so strong, right? And it offers the compelling right. American dream. Right. Own your own business, it do does, it right. Yeah. And but there's a lot that has to go on behind it. And so I love the commitment to infrastructure. So it's hard to, to get to that many employees so early on. You knew you needed to do that. Did you just start from day one, just jumping right in and making sure you had those folks there? Or it, how did that kind of that growth to 17 happen? It was it kind of along the way? Yeah. So it happened over the basically my thought on business is that you hire the people before you need the people because you know where you're going to be in six months. And so you know who you need to get trained up in order to reach that inflection point. So I launched in February. I was the only employee, me and the founders of Rolling Suds. Yep. So I guess there were two of us, but we were you know, business partners. And then I've hired about a new person every 14 to 18 days wow. since then. And you know, you mentioned challenges. Sure. A couple people didn't work out. 
And one of the things I've learned, well, A, as an entrepreneur, one of the hardest things has been just letting someone go, you know, because like your thought process is like, no, they committed to this. They made the decision. They bought into the dream. They're part of my team. And so there was someone I held on to for, for too long. And he was the first guy I hired. And, you know, I watched this, uh, I don't know if you know the CEO of LinkedIn. I don't know if you've seen that video where he sits down with like a 60 minutes video. And he basically, the gist of it is he says, the most compassionate thing you can do as a leader when someone's in the wrong seat is to remove them from that seat so that they can go find a way to be in the right seat. And then someone else told me like my duties to the business, my investors, my business partners, and the other employees who are in the right seat. I'm all about putting the right people in the right seats. I, I'm an EOS guy. You're an EOS guy. And so that was a challenge. But now, the minute I know someone's not right, it's, you know, we obviously- Well, it's better for everybody. Yeah. Try to fix it. If it doesn't sure. work, like we move on, he goes somewhere else or she goes somewhere else. And I had this conversation with someone considering that they're self-implementing on EOS or considering, okay, do I take this to be a little bit more formal? We were, we were talking yesterday and they kind of posed a question to me. We have someone that we know is no longer the right seat, so we're going to go ahead and create a seat for him on our team because we he's a really good person. So I have a right person, wrong seat issue. And I looked at him, I said, at the end of the day, it's your money that you're spending on that, but I do believe you are a for-profit business, correct? I went, yes. He said, as a for-profit business, you may want to consider how you're spending those dollars. And if you want to expand, where are those dollars better spent? I realize he's a right person, but there is danger in letting a bunch of right people hang out that are in wrong seats. Like it's the classic tale, like family businesses, we hear a lot of that in family businesses, but this happens elsewhere as well. Sounds like, you know, you discovered that early on, so good for you. There's power in it to understand it and be able to do that. And then you are protecting the business and protecting who, you, who are the right people. Like you said, I love that. So good on you for that. That is my duty is to the business. I'm the CEO of the organization. I can see things that other people can't see. And if I know that this needs to happen in order for us to get to that next point, so going back to like putting the systems in place, like I helped grow two different companies, both carpet cleaning and then drywall repair. Both those brands became the largest brand in the world and still are today in that specific vertical. I was a W-2 employee at that company, those companies. Mm -hmm. They were underneath the Belfort franchise group umbrella, which at the time when I got involved had three brands. We helped grow that company to 12 brands when I left. So it was like the second largest next to neighborly from a unit count perspective. <laughs> Listen, yep. boring but necessary is not a bad place to be, right? It's the ones that are kind of nice to have that it maybe takes a little longer to get going, right? I joke with candidates and I'm like, listen, if it takes longer than a sentence for me to describe the business, I'm less interested. <laughs> and you know you're late. Just know you're late, right? No, that's what I can do. That's awesome. So can I, let me, let me pose this question to you, just using the, some of the language anyways, which you're familiar with. <laughs> when you were with those roles- yeah. Sure. As a W-2 employee, that's my guess execution, right? You were, I don't know if you were, if they were on EOS as an integrator, but certainly you were on the ops execution side, right? In building those, is that correct? So I, I had a unique role in the last one that I worked on. I, I was in ops, but then I was in sales. So my background is in okay. sales, franchise development. Gotcha. That's what I've done for my entire career in franchising. But the business that I was most, I was involved in last, needed some restructuring in order to be prepared to scale. And I wasn't willing to kind of sell it until we put it into the right spot, basically. And so I had a really unique role, treated that business as if it was my own. And we went from 100 locations, 40 franchisees with like zero infrastructure 
to 350 locations in two years wow. after putting the right infrastructure in place. Yeah, that's awesome. So now you're playing the role of visionary, right? I assume you've got yourself in, in that seat. <laughs> yeah. What's been some of the challenges that you've faced as you've moved into that seat? A lot of sales folks will move in there because that's the dreamer role and that's kind of seeing yeah. seeing the potential, seeing those the possibility of the business. So just tell me about that evolution into the visionary seat. Yeah. So I did not have integrator. Okay. Uh well, yeah, integrator would be the number two. That's right. So I was both. Yeah. Up until I want to say like June. We launched in February. Mm -hmm. So I hired someone. I thought he was going to be the integrator. He wasn't the right person. So I essentially had to do both things. That was like kind of learning how to do that. I also like created all the systems back from August of 2022 till when we launched. And that was me kind of creating the systems. And so both visionary and integrator role. Now I've hired a, you know, former special ops, senior vice president of operations, like was in the special forces for 17 years. And like, I don't have to think about ops basically at this point. You need the yin to the yang or whatever you want to describe it as, right? But that number two, and just out of curiosity, have you ever taken the crystallizer assessment in rocket fuel? Have you ever done that? I haven't. I need to read that book. You can read the book, but it's a quick little assessment, but I'd be interested to see around a scale of one to a hundred, you basically get a score as an integrator and a visionary. And it's really, you kind of know who we are, but it is interesting. There are a few folks, and you may be one of them, that score high in both. Yeah. So those unicorns are out there. I talked to one this week. So yeah, that can happen. He had just taken the test. I'm like, wow, you're pretty unique. You're over 70 in both. Yeah. I'll take that test. I'll let you know. Yeah, it's free. It's a good one to take. And I, anyone that's, that's listening, but go out there, you can get it at Rocket Fuel University, but it gives you some insight. Like, am I in the right seat? So I'm running this business, but if I'm more likely to just be the execution person all the time, even if I'm the owner of the business, do I need to bring someone in to actually guide and lead? If I'm not thinking big enough, that may hurt your growth as well. So traditionally that founder just rolls into the seat because it's his or her right. idea. Makes sense, but it, that's not always right either. You really need to understand what you're good at, what you want to spend your time doing. So it sounds like you're doing that. Right. So good. So yeah, so tell me, so you've got the integrator in place now. Any other critical hires or, or things that you are really focused on? Because I I'm so admire what that you've gone and provided this support as you've grown because that can easily lack and then make the experience of the franchisee lesser and you're not doing that. So love just to dig in here on some of these key roles you've hired. Yeah. So I have three direct reports. I have the senior VP of ops. I hired a director of marketing. I have since promoted her to VP of marketing. And she came from like the fortune 200 marketing world. And one of the reasons I hired her as a brand new business, you know, my, one of my mentors says, you need athletes. You need, you know, sometimes the the VP of marketing is the HR person and the H, you know, and the senior VP of ops is managing the, you know, is the controller, right? And so you need athletes, but then you need athletes that can also then hopefully become specialists, right? And so they need to be able to manage and hire specialists eventually. And those are hard. You mentioned unicorns. Yep. Those are unicorns to find that a lot of athletes that you hire are really good at being athletes, but they're not good at being specialists and managers and all of that stuff. My VP of marketing is another huge key hire that I've, I've brought in and she's been um, tremendous. Um, and uh, she left the fortune 200 world in corporate America and said, I'm going to go buy a franchise in the middle of COVID, bought an existing business, 
tripled the size of the business. She knew nothing about cookies and then was like, oh, I'm ready to kind of do something else now after three years of tripling the size of the business. So came and worked for um, at, at Rolling Suds. And so those are my two direct reports. And then I have my executive assistant. And so everyone else reports to them. The founders of Rolling Suds are involved. One is my VP of operations who works hand in hand with my senior VP of operations. And I've got you know them pretty much running the operation side. And then my VP of marketing pretty much running the marketing side and has multiple people underneath her. So great lesson there though. So the founder is now in the accountability chart. So while they have wearing that hat in that seat, they have a reporting relationship to someone above them, even as founder, which is also another tough thing for some folks to swallow. Well, it's my idea and my company, so I'm just going to go in the business whenever I want. And it actually yeah. rains chaos through the organization when you do that, because of course, everyone looks at him or right. her as the boss. Well, it was your business, right? And you've got to, it's a little bit of humble pie, but it's also just a little bit of understanding when you're in that seat, your role is different than it is when you're playing the owner founder role. And you can do both, but you got to know which one you're in and you can't let one cross over to the other or it does upset the, <laughs> upset the ecosystem of the business. So I love the way that you describe that. Well, I always say anyone who's interested in opening a franchise, because a lot of emerging franchisors reach out to me because of the content I put out on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the social media channels, but they say, I want to franchise my business. And they've got like a good epoxy coatings business or milkshake business or like, you know, something like that. And I let them know there's two different businesses when you're a franchisor. There's your milkshake business, and then there's the franchise business. And those are two completely separate skill sets, two completely different businesses. And typically that founder of that business is so passionate about, again, we're just going to use milkshakes, so passionate about making the best milkshake ever that now their time is going to be diverted away from the thing that they love so much to go be a coach and a mentor and a marketer and a therapist and everything else that a franchisor is. And so um, so what's been great about working with the founders of Rolling Suds is they know how to run a 33-year-old power washing business that's grown to multiple millions of dollars. I know how to run the franchise. And we have very clear, defined roles of who's doing what. Now, I was so excited to hear this the, the son come to me and say, Aaron, I'm having so much fun with this franchise thing that like, would you have me come on to your leadership team? I really just want to keep helping franchisees. Like, that's what I love doing. And I was like, are you sure you're going to be able to kind of step away from your, he goes, Aaron, I'm, I've got that systemized. I'm good. My dad will step in and take that those responsibilities on. I just love working with franchisees. And it was like the best call ever. I was like, absolutely. So he knows what his role in growing the business is. And I think that's really important for anyone who's starting a business is like, you have to let your team know what the things they do impact the growth so that they know what they're working towards and they know what metrics impact the growth of the company. You may have answered the question. I'll just, um, I'll tee it up to see if you want to add anything further to it. But I was going to ask you when someone has an idea and they do want to franchise and you see it fall down, what are a couple of things that you've seen fairly consistently where a great concept idea just doesn't get any leg as a friend, whether they sell a lot of the of the licenses or not, it just doesn't get any leg as a really going entity as a franchise. Um, even after that, even though that idea may have been great in the market in which it started, or you know the smaller areas typically how it goes, one geography then expands out. 
what are some potholes? So I think there's one major reason why a franchisor fails in my experience. And this is what I've seen is it's a lack of capital. Now there's two kinds of capital. There's actual hard money that you need to invest in the business. And then there's intellectual capital on how to franchise a business. Like, how do I do this? How do I create systems and provide support? And a lot of franchisors don't have the intellectual capital of how to franchise a business. So they're figuring out franchising as they're selling franchises. And depending on who they're using and how they're selling those franchises, they may not have much capital coming in from franchise fees because of the way that, you know, some of these organizations that sell franchises are structured, right? There's not any. Well, and they're all new and they're growing. So they're not going to be fully functioning as what the original entity is, right? If, so it's a, you know, 10 retail shops to say, oh, I got a great idea. I'm going to push this out nationally. Well, those other ones are going to come up that curve. And the other thing that I saw, Aaron, just to, is that the lessons learned in building the regional entity they don't always work in building the national entity, right? It's kind of the same thing you're talking about. And you also can't look at a seasoned 10-year fully functioning operation and try to take all that and say, well, this is what you should do in the first six months opening. Like that's a different playbook to open than it is to run once it is open. And those are just a couple of things that you know hit me right between the eyes. And it, it, if you don't see it early on, it's going to cost you months or even maybe years in your ramp up because of that. Totally. Yeah. Really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And like, yeah. that's the, the kind of stuff that I've seen over the years being directly or indirectly involved with 14 brands is I know how to like, look at a business, say, these are the things that need to be extracted. These are the things that need to, the pieces of information that need to be delivered to franchisees. And here are the systems that we need to build in order to make them have a successful launch. So when we took that brand, that drywall repair brand from hundred units to about 350 units, Every single one of those locations opened and they opened with jobs on the calendar because we turned leads on at training and we helped them uh, kind of direct them on how to recruit the right employees. So they had employees hired prior to going to training. And so you can basically turn, you know, a lot of, I hear a lot of people say this, like you can turn years into months and months into days and days into hours with franchising if it's done the right way. And you can go the other way if it's not. And I think that's the, you know, that would be just a lesson or takeaway for anyone that grabs one of those, grabs a snippet or follows you, like understand what it is that you're getting into and, and be able to read inside the execution of, of that business, that, you know, that what's going on behind the marketing and, and how great it is or how great it's sold and however it's being presented to you. Because I typically the marketing is really strong around taking this. We've got this great concept. This course will work everywhere, right? The marketing's strong for that. Right. Just questions going all through my brain here. Let, let me go back. So let's let me just ask kind of the, the big question: Why franchising? Like, what was the original attraction to you? I know you said you're W two, but why franchising? And because it's obviously now become a, a passion or a calling, just as much as it was a job at one point in time. So you know what went on there, and just walk me through that. Yeah. So I always say, like the people who are in the franchise industry, like I didn't find franchising; franchising found me. So like I had a buddy who was in, worked at a carpet cleaning company and I was switching, I was in the middle of switching careers and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And he goes, you should get into the franchise industry. And I was like, what do you mean? Like McDonald's, you know? Cause I think that's like what the general public, at least from my perspective, thinks about like when they hear the word franchise is like legacy fast food brands. And he's like, no, there's like the, these home service concepts where you can get in for like under 300 grand and you can be successful and all this stuff. And, uh, and I loved that concept. I loved the idea of it. Um, now, since that first job that I've had, 
I've seen a lot and I've seen franchising done the wrong way more than I've seen it done the right way, candidly. And, you know, I knew basically at this last kind of like inflection point of my career, I can go work for someone else and keep building someone else's business. But no matter where I go, I'm going to be in a box and they're going to put me in a box and they're going to say, you need to do these things and maybe you have a little bit of flexibility, but like, these are the things I need you to do. And we'll give you like a little bit of equity, like a fraction of a share or something like that. And I was like, I can do this on my own. I could build a team. I could raise capital. I could find a business that I believe in and I could franchise that business and I can make it become the biggest brand in the world in whatever industry I decide. And I'm going to be able to do it better than if I was in a box. And so once I like made that decision, there was no going back. And I think like anyone who's an entrepreneur who has listened to this, like once you've made that decision in that thought process and you've actually executed and you've built a profitable company, I'll never work for anyone else again. That sounds like the seventh layer of hell. Like I have zero interest in that. So yeah. And this seems to come up in almost every podcast. So I'm going to say it again. Anyone who listens to it regularly is going to hear it again. But it's like entrepreneurs born are made. And, you know, Gino, right? Founder of EOS, he's like born because those words you just said is what he'd say. Like you could never imagine, first off, not succeeding. And then secondly, doing it for anyone else but yourself. Like that is just who you are at the core. And I'm hearing it. See, although you worked W2, you quickly found out like, why would I ever do anything else like that again? Because I, this is who I'm about. I got just enough knowledge as those folks around me. I'm going to keep on keeping on, right? <laughs> and you just yeah. you found that for yourself. It's really awesome. Yeah, really awesome. I want to just touch on marketing a little bit. This is always interesting. I have a couple of franchises as clients, as you mentioned. For you, for marketing for what you're doing right now is you're marketing your franchises and then marketing within those franchises. What are some good lessons learned? One for, because you're really marketing twice, right? You're selling new franchises, but you're also trying to make sure that you're providing your franchisees with good marketing tips so their resources are spent right. wisely. So can you take us down to just a couple of good suggestions on both those fronts? Yeah. So I always stress that franchisees should create as much content as possible. It's one of those things that, as you know, it compounds. You don't see immediate results from it, but it compounds because people pay attention. The more you're in front of them, the more they pay attention, the better the content, the more they share it. And then internally, we've built some pretty solid systems for franchisees. Like we have six different marketing agencies. We have a leads command center in-house. These six marketing agencies generate leads for franchisees, manage their spend. We have both residential and commercial inbound lead generation companies. We turn those all on before going to training. Franchisees pay those companies on a per lead basis. And then we turn that on a month before people go to training. And so they're out running the business, selling a full calendar. And I, you know, I learned that from Orange Theory Fitness. You couldn't actually open your location until you had you know, a certain amount of members signed up. And so we put them out there and you've got a calendar. Here's how you fill it. Go out and fill it. And so we're focused heavily on marketing. The other thing is I talk a lot about responsible franchising. If you follow me on any of the social media channels, I put out content regularly on responsible franchising. I believe responsible franchising starts in the franchise development or for those who don't know franchising, franchise sales process, setting the right expectations, making sure the right money is in place, choosing the right franchisees. All those kind of things are really important. And do you hold both the franchise or responsible as well as the brokers? Because obviously in the world of franchising, once again, educating those that are, there's a lot of individuals who are representing multiple franchises and trying to 
right. really do an assessment of a potential buyer, you know, which one of these would be right based on who you are, what you like to do, what you're willing to do. Where does the responsibility rest with those folks? Obviously, they're in commission sales. They're trying to sell stuff. So how much do you try to influence that or do you spend talking to the broker side beyond just the franchisor who's selling his or her own brand? Great question. So I've done with the last brand that I worked on and this brand, I've done, I found most of my franchisees from brokers. The brokers I've worked with over the years and they know me, they know my kids' names, we're Facebook friends, and they know my values and who I am. And I'm very clear with who I'm looking for. And I'm also very clear of what will happen if someone hops on my calendar that I'm not looking for. I'll call them and let them know this guy's not right. I, I told you that and that's okay, but I want you to be able to send them somewhere else. They know exactly what kind of capital requirements we, they know exactly what we need from a net worth standpoint. They know exactly what we need from an attitude and a thought process standpoint. But that goes into ample communication that I have based upon the relationships that I have with these brokers. I do believe that the responsibility falls on the either the franchise salesperson or the the franchisor because that's the person who's taking them through the steps. That's the person who's going to review the franchise disclosure document with them. That's the person who's ultimately going to award them the franchise. If a broker says something and then you get on the intro call, you can always say, hey, that's not completely accurate. Let me tell you exactly how it is and then continue to take them through the process. But if that person signs up, if that franchisee signs up and the thing that they get from the franchisor is different than what the franchise development process told them, I believe we have irresponsible franchising at its finest right there. Whereas with me, I turned away. I told you we've sold up. It's 36 franchisees who have bought 109 territories. So everyone's buying, you know, two to been anywhere from two to four territories. We're only looking for multi-unit franchisees. But like we've turned away 45, actually, as of today, 46 people who weren't right for our system and wanted to write me a two hundred thousand dollar check. So I, I want to, can I hit on that for just a second? So we'd say right for the system. We started, whatever, 20 minutes ago or so talking about right people and the importance of that. Right people comes from your core values. I know you run on EOS. You've spent the time on your core values. Are the core values the same for your employees as they are for yes. your potential franchisees? You're carrying those through, right? It's a consistency yep. that you're getting between those. It's the same mission statement at the employee level and at the franchisee level. I want franchisees to have the same thought process and mentality as the team members that I'm bringing on. And I feel like then everyone's going to get along really well. And so I'm very protective of the brand. I know exactly who's going to be successful in my system, who's not. I've been doing this long enough to where I can spot behaviors in the franchise development process, which I know will end up making my team spend more time on someone and making them unhappy like the franchisee who purchased and spent all this money. And I'd rather not take that person's money than sign them up with the wrong expectations or with the wrong attitude. Yeah. So give me an example of that. Just, you're taking on some of that bird that maybe even helping someone before they make a $200,000 mistake or even more by the time they start to invest in all the marketing and other things they have to do to build it. What are some of those things that, you know, that are turnoffs or things that you can see and go, that's just not going to work? I appreciate it. You're really good at this thing. That's not going to work for us, for this brand in this space. Got a couple examples? So we're looking, I'll tell you what we're looking for, and then I'll tell you some examples of why I've turned some people away. So we're looking for someone who wants to build a massive business. 
So like a lot of franchisees will like get to a million dollars, make 150 to $250,000 in seller's discretionary earnings. And then they let the gas off the pedal and they're good. They're making 200 grand a year. They're happy. They stop marketing as much. The people that we've brought in, that is a starting point for them. And they will always continue to move whatever the goalpost is and they'll just keep moving it. And so the people that we've brought in have a similar mentality to me, which is part of the reason why I've been kind of on the front lines handling the franchise development this whole time and delegating everything else so that I could hand select them. You know, you hear this often, but like a franchise is a system. If you buy into the franchise, you're basically buying an instruction manual for a way to run the business with systems and suppliers and all of that. You should be. You should be buying that. Not everyone has that, right? I mean, we've got to be clear about that because you said not all franchises are alike and they're good and bad. It's, that's the reality of it. Not to cut you off, but right? Correct. So you should, yes. You When you buy into a system in a perfect world, that franchisor should have a system to follow. It's proven and uh, has been proven. And then uh, if following the system, there is a uh, predictable result if you're average, below average, or above average. That's That's my job to create that. And so if I start to see that someone is challenging the system or wants to kind of like, wants to like, I'll tell you, negotiate the franchise agreement. That is, oh my God, like I'm not negotiating the franchise agreement. Like it's been signed 109 times this year. Why would I do it completely differently for you, Mr. Person? It's like, you're, you know, no offense, but like, this is the agreement that we built. This is how it is, right? So- I think when someone is challenging the system or they're asking for things and they, it always seems like they're trying to like get, like give them an inch, they take a mile kind of thing. That just means that my team is going to be spending more hours dealing with that person, which means that they're not going to be able to focus on the ones that are following the system and maybe need help going from a million to 2 million. Let's just use that as an example versus like one truck to two trucks where, you know, and so, and franchising just isn't right for a lot of people. Like a lot of people, franchising is not right for because they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to create the systems. They want to be the visionary. And that's not what franchising is. It's give me the playbook. I'll do it. And then I'll execute on it and have a predictable result. Yeah. That, that's spot on. You, you took the words out of my mouth, right? The visionary with a passion to run a particular service or product or finding a need out there in the marketplace, like that he or she should go do that and create the thing that they want because they they will feel like a square pig in a round hole. That's why I asked you about the values, right? You want to attract the right ones and repel the wrong ones. And you're doing that up front on the franchise side, but it's also trying to do it on your employee side. So that's yep. good stuff. So where is Rolling Suds going next? Like massive growth, got to sustain it. You're adding like crazy. Like what are you thinking about for 24 and 25? Like what's it look like the next couple of years? So as long as we keep on this trajectory, we'll become the biggest power washing company in the world by next year, which is really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of cool thing to hang your hat on. And that's nice. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So we'll be on that. And to me, that's just getting started. We'll only be about two years in. So I believe that not only will we be able to do that, I think we can actually change the industry at large in power washing space because it's a very unsophisticated market. There is really no national player. Most of the people who do residential and commercial power washing, they do it themselves. They just kind of bought a machine and, and they do well. They make six figures working seven months out of the year, some of them, you know, and, but I'm bringing in like 
former level C-level executives, like, you know, former like salespeople making 400 grand a year, private equity guys, like former baseball players. Like these are the types of people we're bringing in to come in and build like these massive businesses in an industry that's super fragmented. So I see us becoming a billion dollar company and probably doing it within the next 10 years. Love that big, big audacious goal out there. Throw it out there. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then my plan in the future is to add other brands in similar ways to I did with the other uh, portfolio company that I worked for. These will be complimentary service brands that the existing franchisees of Rolling Suds will be able to buy and then use their same customers and kind of increase the enterprise value of, of their business. And, um, and continue to build like high caliber teams of people that can can execute on these crazy ideas that I have. It's kind of yeah. <laughs> There's that visionary side popping back up. You're going to be high on that. I can sense that already <laughs> on that execution side. So it's a great, great compliment. Good stuff. Good stuff. This is awesome, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thanks for diving a little deep for just a little bit different flavor. We've talked to all, all folks on here and I just love the the whole franchise approach, having just being involved in it myself and seeing what works, what doesn't, and hearing from someone that's done it so well. So I really appreciate your, your engaging us and, and enlightening us uh, on your journey. Absolutely. Great Thank stuff. you so much for having Great me stuff. on. This has been awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, first off, where can they find you? So you're really active on social. So Throw out a couple handles. We'll make sure we get them in the show as well. But throw a couple handles, then you're not going to get out of here without answering my questions. Uh, five past <laughs> questions, but give us a couple connection points. So yeah, folks so, can find so I'm really, really active on Twitter. So my handle is Aaron Harper CEO. It's A R O N H A R P E R CEO. Instagram, I put out a video every day. That's Aaron T Harper. So T as in Timothy. And then I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you just need to search my name, Aaron Harper, on LinkedIn and constantly putting out content for prospective franchisees, people who are interested in becoming franchisors and just people who like business in general. And we'll be launching a podcast sometime this year. Um, so look out for that. Beautiful. Join the fun. Join the party. You're yeah. in podcast land. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. And a happy gaucho, right? Santa Barbara, yeah. see that on there? You know, be a happy gaucho. Back with yep. And I used to listen to Jim Rome all the time. He was a gaucho. He used to talk about being a happy gaucho all the time. So yeah. <laughs> that's dating myself and back there. All right, Aaron, let's get five fast questions to get to know you a little bit better. Appreciate your coming on and sharing all the wisdom with us and, and hopefully grab a few followers out there and love where you're headed here in the, in the next couple of years. Do you have a favorite sports team or athlete? So I haven't really been into sports since the Lakers back when Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe. That's, that's um, funny. Around. So that's Kobe, a version Kobe of the Lakers. Bryant. Yeah, the Kobe, Kobe yeah, and the Shaq. Kobe that, Bryant. Absolutely. No, totally get that. What would you eat if it was your last meal? So your last meal, guilt-free, like what's that food you're going to? Freebirds burrito from UC Santa Barbara and Isla Vista. Nice. Nice. Do you have a dream vacation spot? So my wife and I want to go to Italy. We've been talking about it for years and hoping to make that a reality by the end of this year. Strong recommend. Strong recommend on that. I did yeah. it too many years ago. My son's getting married this year. He has decided that's where he... Strong recommend. You'll love it. So good stuff. Awesome. Do you have a favorite movie or TV show that you like to rewatch You know, or stream? It's just something that you really love and seem to go back to. So I've seen The Sopranos like almost three times through. Perfect. I'm a huge TV nerd and that is still to me the best show that's ever come out. And I know that like that's cliche to say, but like from a true Sopranos like person, it is the best one. So I've watched that multiple times. Season one of The Wire is like 
crazy good. It had a, I think it was like only five seasons. I don't think, but that was really good. And yeah. then the whole Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. I mean, that, somewhere in those four, I'm with you, right? I'm in that same space yeah. right there. So yeah, totally on the same page there. I love it. All right. And then do you have a piece of advice or a quote that you just find yourself coming back to time again that you'd like to share? Just your favorite piece of advice or quote. So the piece of advice that I have for people who are thinking about becoming business owners is stop thinking about it and just do it. So like the worst thing that could happen is you go keep getting a job and it doesn't work out. And then you go, you're back to where you were before and hopefully you didn't bet the farm. But like, I mean, I talked to people for years and they were like in their mid to late fifties or early sixties. And they're like, I've got a big enough nest egg now. And now I'm going to go start a business, which that's awesome that they finally did it is great. I'm not knocking that at all, but I mean, I'm 35 years old. Could imagine if those gentlemen or people started at 30, how many businesses they would have built the way their lives would have been changed. And, and that was a big driving factor in me deciding, all right, I'm going to do this thing because if I can get 20 years of my life of ownership back rather than waiting until that happens, that's, that's really exciting to me. Folks are on the fence and wondering whether they should start or start. I say, well, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 20 years ago, <laughs> right? And get through, right? So yeah. start planting them now, get it going, get rolling on it, love it, get activated and get after it. Aaron, just absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for sharing. This will probably come out after we meet one another, but hopefully we can connect at the convention here in a couple yeah. of weeks and we'll, we'll get this out there. Yeah, okay. that'd be great. Aaron, great stuff. Thanks for being on the show and uh, best of luck to you in 24. Thanks so much. You too. The Grow Your Damn Business Podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. This podcast is a production of Old Soul. Old Soul is a one-stop marketing agency that builds podcasts for personal brands and businesses. If you're interested in starting your own podcast show, shoot them an email at info at aoldsoul.com. That's info at aoldsoul.com. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast.